Welcome to Markitecture, where you get smart, fast, in-depth interviews with leading technology vendors. I'm Mike Shields, and I'm here with Jason Manningham, the CEO of BlockGraph. Hey, Jason, thanks for being here. Mike, good to see you again. As always, yeah, I'm excited to get into this conversation. I think we probably should start from the top, and BlockGraph is an interesting company with an interesting origin story. Can you give us some of the basics, when the company was founded, who the owners are, and then how many folks you have working for you, things like that? Sure. Yeah. So BlockGraph, as you said, does have a bit of an interesting origin story. So the company itself, in the present form, is a joint venture between Comcast, Charter, and Paramount, formerly ViacomCBS. And we, as a company, were formed to bring together data audiences in the evolving TV ecosystem in a privacy-safe way. That was kind of the vision for the company and why we came to be. It was actually originally started within Comcast back in 2018 and incubated within the Freewheel group within Comcast and then spun out in May of 2020. And we've been operating as a joint venture since that point. In terms of employee size, we're, we're just north of 30 employees today and have about 20 customers that we serve, both TV distributors, programmers, advertisers, agencies, and measurement companies. Let's get into the product itself. What did you actually build? And I'm imagining this has evolved over time. Was the thinking... Let's build an exchange where everybody pulls their data in a safe way or build some sort of TV SSP. What did you actually build? Is it software that you just hand over to buyers? What does it look like? Yeah, it is software and it's an ecosystem built around that software, that common software. But to answer it a little bit more directly, we have built what we call an ID operating system or IDOS. And that allows companies who have multiple different identifiers to match their data and then use that match data for activation either on addressable, CTV, or to do cross-platform measurement. And that sounds simple, right? Different identifiers. The reality is, though, that the industry and the data that's associated with those set of identifiers all have different data rights, data protections, data requirements, both on the privacy side, the security side, and on the strategy side. Different companies want to use data for various purposes. In order to solve that supply chain and have data all work nicely together, you needed to build a way that allowed the data owner to maintain full control over their data, to not have to pool it together, because that didn't hold up to the privacy, evolving privacy requirements, nor did it hold up to their, their, that, their strategy. That's, their, that's, a, that's a powerful asset that they don't want to exactly. share, share with anybody else. They don't want to share it willy-nilly. But it did need to integrate with all of these downstream platforms. We've built out a set of data permissioning controls that allow companies to set up how they want their data to be used, with which partners, with which platforms, and to apply the data protections, whether it's pseudonymization or true anonymization, based on the use case, we allow them to set those things up based on how they want to work with their vendors and their partners. Pseudonymization so, is a new one for me. I like that. Yeah, that's a it's a term of art in the privacy world. But yeah, it's generally used, pseudonymized data is used for addressable targeting because you need okay. to know which households, but you don't want to disclose the, the raw underlying right. PII. Okay, so we keep talking about companies using this. Are we primarily talking about, when you say like data ownership, is this media companies that have X amount of identity data that are going to use this to try and take to market? Or is this also used on the buy side? 
So it's both. I think it's when the buy side and the sell side need to work together. Um, okay. And I think it's in those cases, if a company has their own data and they don't need to work with anyone, a walled garden per se, Blockgraph isn't really built for those companies. There's a couple of things that you could do, but really it's a it's a tool and a platform for companies who want to collaborate with multiple data sets and to come together. So I'll give you a couple of use cases. But before I do that, I think that the important thing to focus in on is we focus on what we call the connected home and solving identity for the connected home. And that's something that we feel is really important for the cross-platform TV and video ecosystem. Why? Because TV as a vehicle or video, whatever word we want to call it, is being consumed in a myriad of different ways, but it's all at the household level, meaning individuals are within their household consuming content. doesn't matter if it's on linear or in an app. They're part of the same household. And what we do is through fully deterministic data sets that are MSO partners who are both linear TV distributors and broadband operators, we give them a way to take their subscriber file, do all of the appropriate data protections I mentioned earlier, and create a universal set of IDs with their own device graph for them, it's fully deterministic and first-party data, and that sits within a private environment. That's their block graph node is what we okay. would call it. And that allows them to work together with brands or publishers who want to match their data against the households of our MSO partners or a measurement company who wants to match their data against those MSO partners. And that's really, really important because it allows, let's say a brand has a set of website visitors with digital IDs they collect. Maybe it's an IP. Our software allows them to take the subset of those website visitors and deterministically match it against the MSO partner on a one-to-one -one basis. So, so do they have to have the uh, specific identifiers? Do they have to have a bunch of email addresses that they can match up or can it just be visitors? It's an identifier that is in common with the partner um, okay. that they want to work with. If two partners have, let's say, IPs, they can match off of hashed IP okay. using our software. If they both have subscriber-level address information, they can match off of that as well. So deterministic doesn't have to mean you know exactly what the person's name is or address necessarily. Correct. It's a single kind of identifier that's in common between them. Now, the MSOs do have fully deterministic data for their households because they do have that subscriber relationship right. and they get consented data in the appropriate vehicle based on the jurisdictions that they're operating in. So they have the ability to take fully deterministic data, let's say, list of their households and the unique ID for those, address information, and other digital identifiers like IP address, et cetera, maybe emails in some cases, and they can anchor that in a privacy-safe way that allows them to work with brands or publishers who have matching identifiers. doesn't necessarily have to be address. Maybe mm. it's IP, maybe it's email, maybe it's another identifier, you know, like a ID for advertising. These things are all evolving, and we built our system to support the ever-evolving set of identifiers. Can you maybe walk me through a hypothetical or, or a real case study if you can, like yeah. X brand wants to do this and this is how it works in practice? Sure. I can start with addressable targeting and then we'll do some measurement stuff, which is sure. also very interesting. So on the addressable targeting, let's say an agency, you know, we have a couple agencies, a couple uh, large hold codes and some smaller agencies as well that have 
their own data or their clients have data that they want to activate on, let's say, addressable TV. What our software allows them to do without well, having- sorry, would that be like, we know that we have in-market car buyers or new moms or just yeah, like people yeah, that have bought sure. our product before? Like, what would that, what would that be? It could be any of those. It's an audience. So it depends on how the client actually wants to define their custom audience. But yeah, let's use the auto because it, it tends to resonate with the marketplace. Mm -hmm. People understand it. So let's say we have an auto agency who has, uh, you know, test drive data, people who've gone to a dealership and tried out a set of BMW cars. So they're thinking, let's retarget those people on television somehow if we can. And exactly. Let's hit them up with addressable TV. And what our software allows them to do is to take that audience and whatever identifiers they have for that audience to apply the data protections, the anonymization or pseudonymization, and then match that set of audiences directly to the NVPD that they want to work with and buy supply from. No middleman involved. It's actually a peer-to-peer -peer connection between those two partners. That's important for data privacy and data security protections. But it's also important for efficiencies because you're getting that match and activation right. in real time. You got a thousand people that took test drive. You know who they are through whatever means. You want to find them on Charter and Comcast in a couple of the places and hit At them with scale. Right. Exactly. And that's where people talk about match rates. That's because you don't want a big drop off because then right. that audience keeps shrinking and shrinking and your net keeps shrinking and shrinking. So by having this direct connection between data owners, you're able to greatly increase the match rate, like two, three X better than what you would see in the industry because there's no device graph of sorts that ties these things together. It's just an accurate one-to-one -one match. It's also accurate. <laughs> I, I know that's redundant from what mm -hmm. I just said, but you're relying on two parties who both collected first-party data and they both are not involving opaque service in the middle. So that creates both speed and match rate efficiencies, which will help facilitate more digital-like capabilities in the addressable ecosystem, which used to take weeks. Yeah. And taking that down to minutes, it greatly improves the, the buyer's experience. Thanks for listening. To hear the complete interview, subscribe at architecture.tv. 